Today I'd like to speak about what are you worth? Are you valuable to God? Why? Why are you valuable to God? When I hear that question, my mind immediately goes to how much I contribute. Is what I do valuable to Him? Our society is called a meritocracy. The definition, dictionary definition, is a government or the holding of power by people selected according to merit. So, meaning if you work hard and do a good job, you get the position or the promotion or the pay rise. Uh, media meritocracy is opposite of systems such as hereditary aristocracy where you are born into a family of an earl or a lord and, and automatically have that position regardless of uh, whether you do a good job or not. Under a meritocracy, wealth and advantage are seen as the rightful compensation for hard work and ability, not just because you happen to have been born in the right family. As Christians, we're also influenced by our society and we tend to value and reward people according to their achievements. We place importance on those who we admire, which isn't wrong, and it's not wrong that we uh, admire people who work hard and who have achieved things. But is this really the way people are valued in the kingdom of God? When we have a family, like we have Brenton's family here with a dad and a mum and children, who's the most important? Who's the most valuable? Uh, we have There's a difference between authority and importance and value. In a family, dad has authority. Mum has some authority as well, but the children don't have that same authority. The roles are different. Everybody's valuable, but it's different. Authority is different to value and importance. And it's very easy to mix up authority with value. It happens the same in the church. We can think that the, the pastor's the most valuable person because he does all the work. But is he really the most important person? Is he really the most valuable to God? Or are we all valuable to God, equally valuable to God? We feel valuable when we achieve something that we see as important. But how does God see you? Are you important to him? Does he value you? Why does he value you? Lots of times in the Bible we see the picture of the shepherd and his sheep used to describe God and his people. In Psalm 23 and John chapter 10 are probably the most famous passages talking about uh, God is our shepherd or Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So this week I was looking at Hamish, our little dog, and thought there are lots of ways my relationship with him is like God's relationship with me. If Jesus can use sheep as a picture, those very dumb animals, I thought it's fair enough to use a dog. What is Hamish worth? He's worth a lot to me. I'm a, his good shepherd and I chose him. 
Hamish is very valuable to me. Not because he does anything to help. He's a pretty useless dog around the house. He doesn't lift a paw to do anything to help. In fact, he just makes more work. Brings dirt in on his feet. Brings leaves in on his legs when he's been out on a wet, rainy day. But he's valuable to me. And he's valuable to me for two reasons. First, I paid a price for him. Now, he's a uh, pedigree dog, and we paid a reasonable amount of money for him those 17 years ago. They're a lot more expensive these days, but we paid a price for him. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and me. In Corinthians, Paul tells us, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. And we know that price was the death of Jesus. He paid the ultimate price for you and for me. The second reason that I, Hamish is valuable to me is because Hamish is my friend. He loves me. He's always pleased to see me. He wants to be close to me. What does God want from me? What is most important to him if I'm his friend? In Matthew we read, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And of course that second commandment is important, but it's not the first and greatest commandment. The first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Now, when I think about Hamish's relationship with me, these are some of the things that I really like about it. Hamish relies on me. He relies on me for food and shelter and care. Not based on his behaviour, whether he's good or bad, but on our connection. He doesn't worry about where his next meal's coming from. He feels secure and safe that he'll be cared for. And Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I can rely on my Heavenly Father. He provides. And I can tell you that from experience. Many years of having varied types of amounts of income over our years in the ministry, that God does provide. He's never let us down. The psalm goes on to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And uh, one thing that you might notice about sheep is that they don't lie down unless they've had enough to eat. They don't lie down if they're still hungry. And it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Has a, that's a picture of plenty, a picture of satisfied sheep. And I'm his satisfied sheep. He's provided for me. He provides both spiritually and physically. 
My Heavenly Father loves me. He provides for me. He leads me. The second thing about Hamish is Hamish trusts me. He asks and expects good things and waits patiently. He, when he wants something, he come up and just tap very, very gently on the leg and sit there quietly waiting patiently. If I ignore him, he'll tap me again and, and wait again. If I keep on ignoring him, he'll keep tapping until I do something. But he does trust me and he, he just expects good things to come. The same as we expect good things from our Heavenly Father. But he's also patient when the difficult things happen. Unpleasant things like bath time, when he's got water poured all over him and soap and getting scrubbed and rubbed. And These days with his uh, getting very old, he finds it difficult to cope with bathing. But he does wait patiently and just sit there quietly while I do the whole thing. Let me blow him dry with the hairdryer and brush him and just stands there quietly waiting till it's all over. He also trusts us when we leave him. Uh, we had a picture up on the screen uh, today of him sitting in the driveway at Alex and Wendy's place waiting for us to come home to collect him. Just sitting there looking out, waiting patiently because we'd left him there for a couple of days while we went away. And he trusts us to come back. The Psalm 23 goes on, As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It doesn't say nothing bad will ever happen, but it says we won't fear. We won't fear the, in the difficult times because Jesus is with us. I was reading about a man who was struggling under a cloud of discouragement and depression. He says, after trying to fight it off with no success, I came to understand that, cloud, that the cloud wasn't just over my head. It was inside it. I mistakenly thought that focusing on my lack and comparing myself to others was a posture of humility. In fact, it was the opposite. Instead of focusing on God's greatness in my life, I was focusing on myself. I was actually agreeing with the enemy by making my own problems bigger than God's promises. My agreement invited that cloud of oppression to hover over me. Another story that I read about trusting God and focusing on his goodness is a story that is told of a preacher who was staying in a hotel in Brazil. He and his friend ascended to their room high in the building in a tiny creaking elevator. What a fire trap, he thought to himself. He looked out of the window over the slums spreading out far beneath him. There was no fire escapes on the building and no fire station in sight. As he went to bed, he was talking to the Lord, asking for protection, telling the Lord about the danger and the possibility of fire. There's probably people falling asleep with cigarettes in their mouths right at this minute. By the time he finished praying, he was a nervous wreck and hardly slept a wink. The next morning, in the light of day, 
he realised that he'd focused on all the negatives rather than on God's promises and assurance. Hamish doesn't usually worry. He trusts in his shepherd. Much better than I trust in my shepherd sometimes. The third thing is Hamish follows me. I take him walking and he often gets sidetracked. He's old, his sight's going, his hearing's gone. When he's finished checking out his wee mail, he looks around and he's often quite disoriented. Like this morning, happened. what happened, we were walking from the main road in Macclesfield up through the uh, Catholic Church car park and uh, he was following along behind me and I got to the entrance to the car park coming up from the road and he was about five minutes behind me just sniffing around and found something that had got his attention quite intensely and I was just watching him and suddenly he turned around and ran back down the way we'd just come and I yelled out to him but of course he couldn't hear me because he can't hear when I call him so I quickly took my gloves off because you have to wear gloves at seven o'clock on Sunday morning in the middle of winter here in Macclesfield took my gloves off so I could clap my hands because that usually gets his attention but the time, by the time I'd done that he was out of earshot and couldn't hear that either so I had to go back down the hill chasing after him until I finally caught up with him and he turned around and looked at me as if to say oh there you are I've been looking for you everywhere and then we continued on our walk back up the hill again and those things he loses his sense of connection. I'm still there, but he can't see me and he can't hear me. I have to stay close to him. And sometimes we're like that with God. Sometimes I lose my sense of connection. But Jesus is still there. I don't realise that he's there, but he's there watching. Sometimes I run off in the other direction. But he's always there. Jesus said, My sheep hear, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Psalm 23 goes on. He leads me in paths of righteousness. If we keep our connection with Jesus, we will follow him. We might have a few sidetracks along the way. But because of our connection, we're following and he leads us in the paths of righteousness. Not as a set of rules to follow, but because we love him and we want to be close to him and to be conscious of that connection. The next thing Hamish does is he wants to be close to me. He'd rather be close than to sit by the fire on these cold winter days. One of my favourite psalms is Psalm 63. It says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you 
Your strong right hand holds me securely. I want to be close to Jesus, not because it's what I'm supposed to do, but because I value our connection. It's important to me. It's something that I just really, really need to have and want to have. The next thing and last thing that Hamish is devoted to me. He doesn't follow other people. Many years of, of experience have built our connection. When we go walking up the road, somebody else comes walking by. He doesn't go running after them. He mostly just ignores them and just keeps coming, following after me. My devotion is to Jesus. My devotion to Jesus is an expression of my connection. Not a duty, but an expression of love and appreciation. Often people spend much effort and time praying over a circumstance, hoping that time and quantity of prayer will bring the desired result. The hope is that perhaps faith will increase through this effort and thus prayer will be answered. This kind of thinking implies that faith is built by the amount of time and energy expended. We need to understand that faith does not come through our effort. Faith will increase in proportion to the revelation we have of God's character, his love and his promises toward us. Often we do not realise the value of spending time with God when we're not just praying for our needs. The reason we worship, quietly wait in his presence and search the scripture is mainly to build a relationship and to learn about the character, power and love of God. Remind ourselves about these things. Our intimacy and relationship with him will have a direct correlation to our level of faith. Not because it earns us more authority, but because it gives something for our faith to stand on. I was reading a story about Charles Spurgeon and his friend. Spurgeon was a preacher in England in the 1800s. He and his friend were out walking in the countryside one day, and they came across a barn with a weather vane on the top. And on the weather vane was the message, God is love. Spurgeon said to his friend, That's an inappropriate place for such a message. Weather vanes are changeable. God's love is constant. His friend said, You're looking at it all wrong. Regardless which way the winds of life blow, God's love is constant. When I get the revelation of the constancy of God's love, it means I come to him with more confidence when I pray. When I get the revelation that he values me, and values our connection, I'm more confident to talk to him about anything. Recently, I was uh, angry and upset and got myself into quite a state and went off um, into my room. And I did what I don't often forget to do. Uh, often when that happens, I revert to a learned concept that God doesn't want to talk to angry people that he's uh, and uh, feeling his disapproval but this time I remembered to talk to him about what was upsetting me 
I really went to town and, and just complained and grumped and told him all the things about my cranky husband that were annoying me and talked to him. Got it all off my chest. And he listened. He didn't rebuke me for talking to him about it. And I found a real sense of peace came over me. My conclusion today is your Heavenly Father values you for two reasons. He paid a high price for you and He values your relationship with Him. All else, everything else, should flow from that relationship. That first and greatest commandment, we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind and all our soul. And the second commandment of loving others all flows when we have that first relationship right. Lord, I do pray for all those, all of us here and all those who hear this message, that we will grow in our relationship with you, that we will understand that you value us not for what we can do for you, but because you are our friend and we are your friend. We follow you. We want to be close to you. We're devoted to you and that's important to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.